Well, good evening and welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. Uh, got a great show for you tonight. We're talking timber, we're talking fires. Um, if you guys don't recall, it'll two years on Monday. Yeah, it's Monday. That's the two year anniversary of the summer from hell uh, for a lot of us in Oregon when we had uh, numerous forest fires from the Santa Am to up north, even north of that into Washington. Um, we also had the, the McKinda Holiday Farm Fire, which evacuated my wife and myself for a week out of our house and scared the hell out of us. Um, it was a horrible time. And then one of my dear friends, Frank Moore, lost his home uh, in the Archer Creek Fire down in Roseburg. Well, we're going to be talking about that. Um, a guy named Matt Hill uh, from the uh, Douglas Timber Operators uh, on his own. I don't know. I don't know. How, I don't know how he learned how to do this, but he figured it out. Uh, produced a really good series of videos about the fires, and we'll ask him kind of why he did that and what that's all about. But it really shows a, a different aspect and kind of where we're going. So I, I think you're going to enjoy it. And then we have uh, Virgil Osborne, who is one of the volunteers on the fire. And also Sheriff John Hanlon, Douglas County Sheriff John Hanlon, who was there also organ helping to organize how this was all put together. And we're going to kind of talk about why the fire was so different, um, because if we don't learn from this stuff, it's going to happen again worse. And we're just going to get some messaging out like that. So our sponsors are Douglas Timber Operators and also um, Chris Dental Family Dentistry, where everyone's welcome, despite your vaccination status. Uh, Dr. Bratlin doesn't care. He cares about your dental health. So uh, he's our dentist for the night and Buck Sanitary Service. And the reason I threw Bucks in here is because Scott Weld provides a lot of the showers, outhouse services for fires all over the state of Oregon. Um, he is never reachable from this time of year through the end of October because he's out maintaining all these things. So the women and men fighting these fires have a place to take a shower, even though it's not for long, and a place to go to the bathroom, which is a very important thing. So I thought, you know what? We should bring Bucks on as one of our sponsors. I just love doing that. <laughs> I'm going to bring Matt Hill on and we're going to talk a little bit about what happened, how he put this series together. Matt, welcome. Thank you for joining us and being one of our sponsors. And I'm excited. We're going to put one of these shows out, one of your segments out a month for the next however long that goes um, and kind of show people what you did. Yeah. You don't have a film background, do you? Uh, I do now. Uh, just after working <laughs> this, this project, I learned Final Cut Pro uh, over the course of a year or so. And I'll tell you from somebody, and I'm older than you, but for somebody like to, to learn that, it's not an easy process. None of them are to get it figured out. Once you get it, it's easy. But figuring that out, what, what was your motivation for putting together this entire series that you did? Well, the, the fire, the Archie Creek fire of 2020 was, was incredibly devastating. But the, the area it hit up the North Umpqua is particularly special to me and my family. Uh, we, we live in that area. We recreate there. My family's homesteaded up there and 
for fishermen, for hikers, it, it's just a very special place that just kind of got nuked. And, and I think the public still kind of in a collective state of mourning and trying to understand what happened, what what is happening with the land in terms of recovery and, and what they can expect to see over the next 10, 20, 30 years. So it, it's the video is really just a process of, of exploring what the fire was in terms of the fire, the human experiences, the loss, the, the heroism, and, and learn from it and, and hopefully um, prevent those types of things from happening in the future. Because one of the things Oregon, I think people are starting to learn. I had a couple of a, a, a partnership uh, on just recently and they, they lost their tree farm. Uh, they were they were novices. Uh, they came here hating clear cuts and now they understand why they have them. <laughs> and they said, you know what, Rick, we had the wrong idea about the timber industry. We totally didn't understand until we got into this. Because if we and they're according to what they told me is, you know, until we figure this out, we've got to start cleaning up the forest because this we're leaving kindling around when that lightning strikes. It's it's you know, it's just blowing up. And that was the perfect storm two years ago. It, it was, and, and looking forward, you know, that fire and all the other fires that happen every year, you know, on federal land, the vast majority of that dead wood just gets left there. It dries out, it rots, and it's going to burn again. And, and sometimes the second or third fire is worse than the first. So we're, we, we absolutely are facing future catastrophes if we don't do something differently. And I know in the McKinsey fire, the Holiday Farm fire, um, I talked to three people, their private timberland light was butted up against that federal land and the federal land is where the fire started and it took theirs out too. So it is impacting people. And, uh, and I think it's a great thing. So let's show the video and then we're going to talk to Virgil and, and Sheriff Hanlon, uh, and talk a little bit more in depth about what was going on. This is about a 10 minute video. You guys are going to love it. It really kind of gives you a, a picture of what was going on. All of the major fires in uh, western Oregon are on east winds. They come over the Cascade Mountains on this west side here and uh, dry out the vegetation. Uh, they, if they're occurring during the dry time of the year, um, they spread fire very easily. The weather event that happened was so extreme. You talk to many of the people who have worked for so long in the woods, uh, it's not something many people have ever seen. The wind was blowing uh, towards town. Instead of the, usually the wind there blows up the river, it was blowing the wrong way. Uh, and then came a red flag warning and red flag watch uh, from the National Fire Weather Service. I mean, winds were in excess of 40 miles an hour, easter winds, uh, pushing that fire with spotting two to three miles out in front of the active fire line. It looked like a winter storm had gone through. There were trees blown over, there were branches broken, uh, the highway was just littered with uh, debris. Uh, it didn't seem like a September day. The wind was blowing so hard, there were limbs and, and pieces of tree and pieces of ash that was, I mean, when I say pieces, I'm talking big ones, that were literally flying over our heads. We had 50 mile an hour winds coming from the east, 95 uh, degree temperatures, single digit humidities. And that combination with the heavy fuels of the forest created 
an explosive event that was really terrifying to see. The fires we had on Labor Day were, were major winds, 40, 50 mile an hour gusts, so it created explosive events. Um, just like the 1933 Telemuc fire, the woods literally exploded. A uh, combination of dry fuel, massive amounts of fuel, and a heavy east wind. I've been on a lot of these, I've never really been scared before, but that particular fire was scary. And it was also pitch dark uh, in the middle of the day. It was, it was bizarre because the sky was so dark, but it was mid-afternoon. And the street lights at three in the afternoon are coming on. Day I walked out and it was pretty much dark and the street lights were on and I thought, holy cow, you know, I didn't realize what time it was. Well, no, it was actually two o'clock in the afternoon. It wasn't, it wasn't nighttime. There was a sense of, this is really bad. I've been around fires, I've responded to fires, but this was something that I've, I had never seen before. And so there was just this eerie, almost an eerie calm, but strange sense of there's this giant monster out there. 911. Uh, yes, I'd like to report uh, a fire. It's in between Bogus Creek and Williams Creek off of 138. And you saw the flames? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's burning, it's burning the old uh, Williams Creek fire scar. 911. Hi, I'd like to report a uh, forest fire in Douglas County. Where at? It is uh, It's up Canton Creek, east of Glide. I'd like to report a fire. Okay, and is it the new fire? Because uh, we have a bunch of big fires up there. Where are you seeing a fire at? I'm at milepost uh, 38. In one one emergency. But there's a wildfire at milepost 37 on 138. Nine one one. Yeah, we need uh, choppers up here in Susan Creek. We got a fire. We're trapped in here in Susan Creek Road, and it's going hot right now. And the wind's blowing hard. We need help. Uh, I first heard about uh, um, fires um, up in the Glide area on what have been Monday, uh, Monday night which was Labor Day. We had uh, warnings, you know, that there was going to be some high winds. So Tuesday morning, the 8th, we had uh, a report uh, that there was a fire burning uh, up on Forest Service land up the North Umpqua in the Bogus Creek area. And this fire that you're responding to is now referred to as the Archie Creek Fire. Now the Archie Creek. And I, and I grabbed one of the county commissioners, uh, Commissioner Freeman, and we decided to take a drive up to Glide and see how the fire um, was coming at French Creek and, and go up and take a look at this other fire that the Forest Service uh, was aware they had burning, but um, at that time I don't believe they had anybody on the fire yet. We encountered um, a firestorm like I've never seen. Are you advising you that we just got a report of another fire We first made it up as far as just past Susan Creek up to about the old Frontier store. And that's when we encountered, you know, fire on the hill. We literally drove up through the fire. There's spots where the 
rocks are coming down, lots of debris flying around in the air, uh, and fire on both sides of the road. found out that there was some folks that were trapped in their home. I had a lady drive out in front of me uh, from a driveway and stopped her car, stopped me right in the middle of 138. Now mind you, the fire was burning all around us at that time. And she was in a panic because she was concerned that her husband was in the house up the driveway and <clears throat> he was burning to death. That's what they told us. We have a new fire uh, right down here in a house on fire and evidently somebody's trapped in it. We turned the truck around and we headed up the driveway and the fire was burning all the way around us. It was like driving in a tunnel of flames. We came back down and we're calling this in on the radio as we go. Our sheriff, uh, when I got back to 138, our sheriff was the first vehicle that came up and he asked me, which, where's the address? And I told him, I said, it's bad up there. I don't know, I don't know that you can survive that. He didn't even hesitate. Uh, and the sheriff drove uh, right on through the fire up to where the people's house were. We drove up there and assisted them in getting out of their home and getting getting out of the fire. Really that much smoke and fire around them, they really had no idea that the fire was coming up the hill or it was about to engulf them. The residents who were trapped at 29836, they've both been evacuated. Our fire all around the residents this time. We went on up further uh, up to Binmore Hill and contacted the residents up there. Um, informed them that they needed to leave and then we continued up the river further and that's when we we really found um, fire burning um, very hot very erratic I mean it, the fire was really blowing up on us um, on both sides of the highway we got through it and about the time we got through it all the units below us were were saying you know the, the road is impassable you can't go through anymore we need to stop traffic at both ends and turn people around highway right here it's fully engulfed please contact odot and ttr they are able to shut down the highway it was very dangerous traveling the highway at that time that was early in the morning i mean that was before noon video is only a minute and 46 seconds. Uh, as we get through, we're back into blue sky. And like, it's just a beautiful summer day. And uh, we uh, were able to help do that evacuation at that end of the fire.
Uh, man, that brings back horrible memories. <laughs> it's different when you see somebody else going through it than when you guys, you have to go through it too. Um, okay, we're going to have a conversation with the sheriff, with Virgil Osborne, and with Matt Hill right after this. We do a lot of crowns and we do really good crowns. Um, and it's funny, a patient asked me the other day, is like, how are you giving such cheap crowns? And, and I think they think that maybe I'm having like lesser quality. I have really good quality crowns and we do really good work. And we're, we charge, if you don't have insurance, we charge 998 bucks. So if, let's say you break a tooth and you know you need a crown, you can call us and that's how much you're paying. Um, uh, you're not gonna, we're not gonna charge you all these add-ons. You don't want a crown that breaks. I don't want stuff from China. Uh, it's a local lab. Uh, they're phenomenal. You're gonna come in the chair. We're not gonna charge you for a limited exam, x-ray, um, a core build up in a crown. We're gonna ch charge you 998. And to get that 998, you have to mention that you saw it on Get Real with Rick Dancer. That's just how it goes. Sheriff Hanlon, I, I have to bring you on first because I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a little ego boost here. Right. In comments, Hanlon, the legend lives on. <laughs> you, you have a fan. And then Matt will bring you on here and tell you, Carol says, well done film. It really was. It is. It really is a well done film. And Virgil, I, I got nothing for you, buddy. <laughs> okay. So, gentlemen, um, again, we've got Sheriff Hanlon up in the uh, right-hand section of the screen from me. Virgil Osborne, a SAR volunteer, Matt Hill, producer, also works for um, Douglas Timber Operators. So gentlemen, let's start the conversation. How is this fire different from what is considered a normal fire? Anybody can take that. I can tell you just from my experience, both from law enforcement and from eight years of working uh, in the wildland firefighting business prior to getting into law enforcement, that this fire was unlike any that I have experienced. And I, I believe it's probably a, a lot, mostly due to the to the weather that we had um, on that weekend, the, the high winds, the 50 mile an hour winds, um, you know, blowing down, down river on extremely already, you know, dry fuels. And that coupled with the years of drought leading up and up, you know, up to this, uh, disaster, I think, uh, all contributed to that fire being unlike any that I've seen. You know, I can say that, yeah, I, I can say, you know, we've, we've done a lot of, uh, evacuations on fires, uh, over the years. I've been in search rescue for a lot of years and typically you're working on the outside of the fire, trying to get people out of their homes or at least notify them that they may need to leave this fire. There was no outside of the fire. We were right in the middle of the fire and the wind was crazy and the flames were everywhere. It's, it's my first experience with that kind of a, a, a blow up of a fire ever. And I hope it never happens again. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> if I could too. And I, I know Matt has touched on this, but um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that I've also noticed the neglect to our forest land, um, particularly our, our federal forest land, our public lands, and the neglect to our forest contributed to the size and the, and the, the, the fire behaviors that we saw uh, on this Archer Creek fire. Sheriff, what, what do you mean? Be, be specific. What do you mean neglect? What does that mean? Well, the, what I'm, what I'm talking about is just the, I mean, it, it's a, there's a, 
there's a whole host of things that I feel are are neglectful to our national public forest lands. Everything from from not harvesting, allowing some of these stands of, of timber to to age to the point that they die and fall down and brush taking over, roads not being maintained. Um, aren't, aren't you creating, but like with, with when, when you let trees just rot, it sounds so natural and so good, but you're creating, one, you're creating more carbon because when it rots, that goes up into the atmosphere, a small amount, but there's some carbon there. But the other thing you're doing is you're creating kindling and they talk about why we're having the worst forest fires of, of in, in years. Um, the major thing that's changed, they try to blame it all on car, on, on climate change, which maybe some of that is true. Um, but, but we know that they're putting fuels, leaving fuels laying on the forest ground. And when that lightning hits it, it's just like, I mean, go out and take a match and right. stick on some dry timber. I mean, if, if, if climate change is partly to blame for this, which I don't, think probably any of us maybe can disagree, then that's all the more reason why the management of those timberlands is that that much more important to Matt, remove those fuels. Matt, Tom says, seems like the privately owned forest land held up better. Totally agree with Sheriff John. Um, did 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 private lands do better? Not not necessarily. I mean, in an event like Archie Creek, where it's driven by a sixty mile an hour wind, you know, it, everything got torched in its in its path, and and there wasn't necessarily uh, a difference in, in behavior. But the 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 whole fire was fueled by a massive amount of fuels that was largely coming off federal land, um, and and certainly after the fire, that's where we really see the difference between private and federal lands because within weeks the the private landowners were in there uh, getting dead trees out replanting new trees and and those are all planted they're growing uh, the, on the federal land they're still trying to figure out what to do along roads where you've got trees falling on the roads and imposing a, a public threat so as time goes on you'll see the difference between public and private forests just in in the color of the the land i went up to did some stuff for uh, an organization called healthy forests and up at Mount St. Helens, and they showed the difference between where they left the the, the explosion, where the, ex the eruption happened, you know, back in eight in 1980, where they left it alone. Mother Nature is not a very good restorer of timberland, and where they had gone in and done something, uh, private people had gone in and, and worked it. There was a whole. There was two generations of forests in there. Um, and it was all green and lush and beautiful. And that wasn't done on its own, that where it was left alone. And why does that message not get out to the community or to people? Do they not understand that? I, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, but what I, what I do know is that we, we can help accelerate those recovery processes that, that nature might take hundreds of years to do. We can do in 40 years and we can bring forests back faster. And, and you can look at other fires we've had in the Umpqua National Forest area, Boulder Creek, Apple Creek, Olympic Creek, places like that, where fires have burned in the last 20 years, they've reburned the same stand and, and it's converting forests from lush conifer, dug fir stands to hardwoods, brush, um, uh, slick leaf, madrone, things like that. And, and so it's changing the composition of forests as a whole, and I think that's something that, that's going to impact, you know, our recreation, our wildlife, and 
and, and all sorts of things for the next hundred years. Now, Sheriff, you have a fire right now threatening the edge of Douglas County from Josephine County. You guys are our neighbors. Um, what's going on with that? Yeah, so that fire is just a couple of miles, three miles, I think, away from the southern Douglas County line between us and Josephine County. Um, it's burned clear down to the Rogue River, and the fire, the fire hasn't jumped the river on our southern boundary, but it has jumped the river um, more towards Galice, um, and is starting to burn, you know, to the to the south and east, uh, is my understanding, in a, in a direction that's going to put residences, are, you know, in harm's way. Um, Matt, I don't know if you read this, Tim Bechtel. Yeah, um, thanks, thanks, Tim. I, I yeah, saw that and it made me smile inside. Dear uh, friends of all of ours, and it's um, and they lost the the log home that Frank built and Jeannie built by hand uh, from the ground up, and all of his metals and everything else. And that story goes on and on and on. So, our, I, I think what happened with that last the two year ago fire, um, it kind of lit a fire under a lot of us including myself, where it's like, well, I was never impacted by this. But now all of a sudden, what you do with your forests and how we treat, treat those forests, it matters to me. I was, you know, we left our home, walked out, and Kathy and I looked and we had tears in our eyes and go, we may never see this again. And everything in it. So now I'm in the game. <laughs> and I don't care what people think. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm in the game. Virgil, now, am I right? Can I, I don't know. I didn't talk to you about bringing this up, but you're running for something, are you? <laughs> yeah, uh, House of Representatives uh, District Two for Oregon. Yes. Okay, so encompasses this area. I, I know that's not why you came on here, but it, I'm sorry. It's a natural conversation, and that's what we do here. If sure. you're elected, I mean, is this something that we need? I mean, we need more people in the state who understand timber, not blacktop streets and 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 co concrete buildings. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been involved in the timber industry myself. I, I used to work for RFP. I was in their management for a few years down there as well. So yeah, I, I get it. Uh, I understand forest management. And uh, to, to John's point, we need to take much better care of our, of our forests. And, and that, that includes federal lands. I mean, I, I think our I think our private industry, private lands, they do a pretty good job of, uh, of maintaining what they have because, I mean, that's their source of income. And that's, you know, they live or die by the, by the trees. And, and uh, but when it, when it comes to BLM and Forest Service land, not so much. Uh, and I think we could do a much better job with that. So, Matt, why is that important if you've got public lands that are being left alone so that that's how one group does it? And then you have private people who are going in and cleaning up and replanting. Why does the public lands still matter with the, the private? You, you know what I'm getting at, right? Yeah, there's a couple issues. I mean, we're, we're all neighbors and right up against each other. Uh, in the BLM lands, it's a checkerboard land ownership pattern. So every other square mile is public, private, public, private. So it's like living in an apartment building. If one person's apartment's on fire next to you, you're impacted because it's coming to you next. And so that it's, it puts a very complex relationship together. But I, I do want to emphasize that what's happening on federal land isn't the decision of the current people managing federal land. Uh, this has been decades in the making. Courtroom after courtroom has restricted, um, you know, the management authority of, of these agencies. And 80 to 90 percent of both Forest Service and BLM land in this area is is pretty much off limits to any type of management whatsoever. So if they want to thin it before the fire, they can't do it. If they want to remove dead wood after the fire, they can't do it. 
they just have to let nature take its course. And, and the irony of that is that that rigidity was set up to protect, you know, green conifer old growth forest that, that's the habitat of the northern spotted owl. Well, guess what happened to that habitat, these fires? It's gone. It's gone for a long time. So the, the environmental goals that our community suffered to, to enact, you know, our mills closed, our people went out of work. Uh, we, we paid the price for that conservation and, and lived with it. Uh, it. It's sad to see that forest destroyed and not even attempted to be recovered um, by the federal agencies because they're not able to. And, and I think there's something very wrong with our, our regulations when this is the outcome and it's not good for us. And it's, it's certainly not good for the spotted owl either. So is, that is kind of ironic, isn't it? The very rules that we came up with as a, as a, as a culture um, to, to feel good and protect that owl, which was actually the barred owl that was destroying that spotted owl. Anyway, but you know, the news never covered that. That was a sound bite <laughs> after three years of spotted owl stories. And then the barred owl is found, ah, uh, it was a barred owl. Okay. On to the next story, you know, underwater basket weaving. Um, but I, I think the, the problem is, so we've created, we created the problem that then ends up destroying spotted owl habitat. That is, that's not funny, but it is quite ironic. And we do that over, and we're continuing to do that. And we, it seems to me, these two women I talked with recently in the McKinsey, they said, you know, the problem is Rick, the narrative was created and nobody's willing to go in and say, we might not have been right. We need to change the narrative. And so in the meantime, we close our eyes and we just keep saying the same thing and our forests are getting destroyed until it comes to my house. And then it's like, you know what? I don't care what people think anymore because I know what that costs. And the Moors and all the other people that suffered through this, um, I think something needs to change, Mr. Virgil. Absolutely. I, I, I believe we need to, to manage those lands. And I, you know, unfortunately, I, county's hands are tied at a certain point. You can only go so far, but I think at a state level and at a federal level, we need to, we need to do that. You know, we, we planted, uh, and Matt knows these numbers better than I do, but I think the, the number that I recall was 10 trees for every one we took out back in the 80s, uh, assuming we were going to be able to thin those out and continue on with the harvest. When the spotted owl came along, that pretty much ended that, which meant management of those of those trees went away. So we have a forest that's overgrown right now. We have more trees on our forest than, uh, than there ever were, really, and, and they need to be thinned. They need to be, uh, you know... A, a logger that I uh, did some work for us one time, he, he reminded me because we were he was logging for us in August, and, and I said, you know, aren't you concerned about fire? He looked at me, he said, remember, we're the guys who put the fires out. <laughs> I go, very good point. <laughs> so, Matt, how many, with Douglas Timber Operators, how many people do you represent? How many? Well, we've got about uh, 56, 5,700 people in the county who are, who are directly employed at some level in the, in the timber forest products industry. Mills, landowners, loggers, truckers, consultants. Uh, so that that's the core industry. Uh, it, it's the largest sector in the county. It, it's it's on average a higher wage than the, the average county wage. Um, you know the industry has declined a lot uh, over the last thirty years. But here in Douglas County, we're we're still timber capital of the world. And as we were talking about before the show, we we've, we've got more mills in Douglas County than most states in the West. And did you guys know that? I'm, I'm not talking to you, Virgil, there's people here, but to the audience, did you guys know? And and Matt said even they have more mills in Douglas County than, than Montana has in the whole state. 
And that's true of a lot of states. I mean, I don't think I notice it here because you come here and there's not as many trees, but there is a timber industry. In fact, I'm doing an interview on Wednesday with the timber industry that will air the following week to kind of show you guys the difference. But I think now, don't you feel like now's the time, Virgil, John, Matt, that people need to stand up and just say, okay, you know, enough. We need to, we need to be involved. Everybody needs to be involved in the narrative and it doesn't get to be owned by one ideology anymore because your ideology is destroying our state. Absolutely. I agree. hundred percent. And, and one thing I'd, I'd like to add is, is that, you know, here in the Archie Creek fire, you know, the boundaries, the Western boundaries of where the fire stopped was, is really where the timber industry with their heavy equipment dug in lines on logging roads, on private land, put fuel breaks in. It, it wasn't necessarily federal firefighters out there doing that. It was, it was industry. And industry was tied in with the sheriff's office and with search and rescue and with DFPA and ODOT to coordinate the response to this fire. And, and I think Hold on, sorry guys. That's not I had, had to happen to somebody. It was, a, it was actually one of our clients going, I love this show. Thank you. It's like, <laughs> I was watching the thing going, oh, no, don't call me now. You, you sponsor the show I'm on right now. What are you doing? So, hey, Matt, finish your thought. Oh, uh, just quickly, um, you know, and I think that was one of the major things that, that stimulated my desire to, to put, to film some of these stories was from a timber industry representative. I was there seeing the sheriff's office and search and rescue coordinating with all the first responders and how the community and, and all these people volunteered, paid, career, political, came together, you know, to, to stop the fire, to address public safety. And and it was really incredible to, and, and heartening to watch as, as a county resident. And my my wife and I had, had actually enlisted for search and rescue before the fire, uh, but because of COVID, we, we weren't able to get through the training and, and now we are members and we do do fire evacuations with Virgil un, under the discretion of the sheriff. And, and it's just incredible to see so many people come together. I mean, it's a horrible situation, but it really showed the value and character of this community and, and really made me glad and thankful to live here. You know, I, you got, but Douglas County is always, yeah, I mean, you guys are a pretty tight knit place. You get into rural Oregon and it's a whole different animal, you know, and, and you guys are like that. But I saw that even on the McKinsey. I mean, it was like you saw people coming out of the woodwork um, to, you know, one neighbor loses their home and the other ones are still there. So they're inviting them into their house to stay. And and then when they're gone, you know, while they're waiting for all the process, uh, you know, they're over there watering their yard and taking care of the cat that's still there. And, you know, I mean, that's that really is the heart and soul of the true Oregon spirit, don't you think? That's still alive and well. You have to look for it sometimes, but it's still alive and well. It, it certainly is. It's deep-seated. Um, you know, every time we have a disaster like this, it just makes me realize how proud I am to be um, born and raised here in Douglas County. I mean, we, you know, we've gone through blasts, forest fires, floods, mass shootings, and every time we have one of these types of, of disasters, the community gels and comes together like no community I've ever seen. It's just yeah. phenomenal. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, as a, as a guy running as a Republican uh, for Secretary of State, when I had left Lane County and got into Douglas County, it was kind of like, oh, I'll get 
I'll get questions that are not like trying to kill me. <laughs> you know, I was in I was in safe territory, even though my home was in Lane County. It was, it was really like you drive over the border, you just went, "Okay, I'm in another land." <laughs> you know, guys, I can really attest to uh, as John, as John and Matt had said. You know, we were we were working on emergency channels on our radio, so we we were hearing a different conversation than a lot of the fire channels are hearing, but. I know there was a point where there were so many people willing to come up and help like haul animals. I mean, there were, you know, there were horses and cows and, you know, dogs, cats, chickens, all, you know, this thing happened so fast, but there were, there were people basically lined up that were willing to help. It was an amazing uh, day that day to see that all happening. But what was really amazing was I think it was the third day of the fire, maybe this, maybe the end of the second day. Uh, I went up uh, to, I was patrolling in, in uh, Little River and we stopped in there at Thunder Mountain. I have never seen so many shovels, cats, um, you, you know, logging equipment in one spot ever. I was like, oh my God, the, the private forest industry, the, those guys, they were going to protect their land and they did an amazing job. I mean, compared to what I saw later on in the fire, those guys really took care of, the, of what they had to do. So I, I was it gave me chills. I was just, I was like, these guys are going to go fire out. <laughs> There's a guy up the McKinsey and he had water tanks at his house and he's kind of a character and he just ran out of the house, put his boots on, ran out of the house and he's driving up the road and he gets out and somebody goes, what are you doing? And he realizes he's in his underwear and his boots and nothing else. Um, but he had the water tender and he was yeah. out there putting out water, like, you know, putting out hot spots that he found like that. He didn't have time to get the clothes on. He just had his skivvies and, and his boots on and he was doing his job. So yeah, you, earlier, Rick, you asked what made this fire different than, than some of the others that we've experienced. And you mentioning that just reminded me. So, um, I was up at the Moore's place up on Moore Hill Lane uh, the day of the fire on that Tuesday, evacuating them. And that was the third time in like 10 years that I've been up there to evacuate them. And on this particular day, two years ago, um, Mr. Moore came out and he said, John, he says, what do you think? And I said, I think you and your wife need to get out of here. And his son and daughter, I think, were there at the same at that time, also trying to talk them out of the house and get them get them to go. A couple of times before, they were very reluctant. I'm not sure they really did evacuate um, the, the two times prior completely, but this time he was he was more concerned. He he sensed and he knew um, that this fire was different. And I knew it was different because I'd been driving through it for the last half hour and, and evacuating other people. And I, I said, yeah, you, you folks have to go. And he says, I think I'll take your advice on this one. <laughs> and, but my point, I guess, is, is that there were a number of residents that we made contact with up there that day that, that knew how serious this one was. And the majority of all of them um, took our suggestion to go. And we're fortunate that they did because we managed to get through that fire. Again, a fire like I've never witnessed and experienced before in my life. And we got through it without one human life being lost. I so, can still see I can still see Frank's face when he's talking to you. And oh, yeah. With you a hand on the shoulder. Yeah. Give you a little pat on the shoulder. Yeah. He might not have been as smiling as you much. You always look at me and go, how are you doing, Rick? Yeah. 
that big old smile. Yeah, and 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 here at the end of the end of his life, he loses the house that he built um, yeah. because we're not managing force properly. Um, that's kind of the moral of the story. So, yeah. gentlemen, thank you all for joining us. Matt, thank you so much for one your sponsorship of our show and providing this awesome content, which obviously people are liking because there's a ton of people on here right now. Um, and it's a conversation we as Oregonians, even though I'm not an Oregonian anymore, I still am at heart. Um, we need to be able to have, we need to be able to talk about things. Um, and I'm going to say a little bit more about that when I let you guys go. Are you, thank you for being here. We appreciate you. And they'll be back. Well, we know that, um, Matt will be back in a month and we're going to bring you another installment and have more, more guests and have more conversation because this conversation is not going to die. Thanks, gentlemen. Good seeing you, you. Sheriff. Good seeing you. Good luck, Virgil. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Go kick some behind. <laughs> See you later. Thanks, Matt. Did a good job, man. All right. So, again, it's a conversation we need to be having in Oregon. Um, you know, here's the thing I think I've learned over the last um, few days. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are very angry and um, doing some very mean things, trying to shut people up. And I read a quote from Jordan Peterson today, uh, Peterson today, and it said, um, don't apologize if you didn't do anything wrong. Um, because I think there's people that want to just quiet us down for speaking out about the things that concern us in this state. Um, and we cannot do that. We have to keep talking. We have to keep pushing because they're going to push harder. And this is not a battle. It's not a war against human beings and people. It might be an ideological war. But all I'm asking for is equal time, equal conversation time. And you're not going to quiet me and you're not going to put, you can post my information all you want and do all the nasty little things you want to do, but it's not going to quiet us down. There is reasonable solutions to all of this. There's compromise. And when you are shutting down a forest to protect an owl habitat that did you end by then by shutting it down, you destroy it. That's stupidity. And that has to stop. You're not, this isn't about the owl, is it? No, but it is about Oregon and its people and its jobs and managing a force in a proper way that's good for climate change and that's good for jobs and good for human beings and wildlife. And yes, that spotted owl habitat that you destroyed. Join me tomorrow night. We have a super interesting interview with a young man named Davon Woods. He's in Georgia. Uh, he's a foster kid um, and he started a group called Foster Kids Matter. And we talked to him today. He's going to air tomorrow night um, on our Elements of a Healthy Lifestyle show. And uh, he is amazing. So he's trying to get the word out about foster care and the inadequacies of that, and that foster kids matter. So he'll be here tomorrow. Good stuff. We got good stuff for you. Have a good night. Share it on your page. See you later.